The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie. That is our very own Trish Archer, of course, from Beat Breakfast. And she's been here because it really has been more than a week where I have been reading and questioning and trying to understand terms I've never really thought about as a white woman. Systematic racism, white privilege, redlining, white supremacy. These terms and more have been really used in the last few weeks. And to talk to me about her experience as a person of colour living in a predominantly white world, Trish Archer from Beat Breakfast is here this morning. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Orla. Now, before we start, can can we just say... I want to talk to you about your experiences Mm. as an Irish woman of colour. And the questions I'm going to ask are, I suppose, come from my experiences and my research. Mm -hmm. We are representing each other. I think, especially for you as a woman of colour, do you feel you need to represent your race? I feel an awful lot of responsibility. And I suppose it's also because I'm in the position I'm in where, you know, I do have a platform and people listen to what I have to say. So I feel like people expect me to have all the answers and that I have the weight of the black world on my shoulders. And maybe I put that pressure on myself a little bit more than I should because from talking to my mother, she was like, well, you can only talk about your own experiences. Mm. You can only come from your perspective. So you can't answer for everybody. And I think people who are mature and who understand the issues will know that and will get that. But I'm scared of maybe young people Mm. sometimes maybe misinterpreting what I say or not fully understanding what I say. And it Mm -hmm. bears, oh, you have no idea this week the amount of stress I've been through just in trying to even word what I'm saying online. Just word it properly so people actually understand and try not to say anything that would essentially put black people in a bad light. Uh But... I still need to get the issues out there and I still need to explain everything without making it sound like, oh, we're coming from a negative Mm. place. Or Or that you know everything. Or that I know everything. Mm. And I don't think I've ever had a situation where I've had to represent my race. I definitely have represented my gender, especially Mm. in the job that I do. Never my race. Because you're in the majority, you see. Like, I'm in the minority in Ireland. Like, there's a small, as much as we've come so far, and there's, we have a whole multicultural society now. Like, when I first came to Ireland in 2000, 2001, there was no other black person I felt like in Waterford and at you had the time. come from the UK yeah okay. so we come from which is a whole different world mm. and then prior to that I was in Jamaica so again you're coming from Jamaica where everybody's black and yeah, yeah there are a few you know different nationalities but predominantly black and then we go to England where listen it's a melting pot of, of every yeah. single nationality across the world and cultures and ethnicities and then I came to Ireland which was very White. Mm. There's no other way of putting it. It was very white. But the funny thing is, when we moved to Ireland at the time, my mom's friend was already living here. She was actually living in New Ross. And she said, you know, Ireland is this beautiful place. You definitely want to raise your kids here because it's somewhere where I think, you know, everybody is peaceful. Mm. Everybody's kind, you know. On a whole, it was a lot better than the UK. And And did you have a positive experience for the most part since 2001? Since, two th- Since you moved over. Yes. Look, it, it, it has been a learning curve and there has been ups and downs. But for the most part, absolutely, it has been an incredible life for me because what I see happening to, you know, my counterparts across the world, I can't necessarily relate to any of that. Like, I, I've never had to fear for my life 
you know, if I saw a guard approaching my car, I don't fear for my life when I'm opening my front door. And I thank God for that. I can't imagine what it would be like living in a world like that. But on the other hand, there has been incidences of casual racism. But I also put it in the bracket of ignorance more so than racism itself. And one of the events that really struck me over the past 10 days was the Central Park incident where a white woman who was walking her dog was asked to put the dog on a leash by an African-American bird watcher. And he then filmed her as she grew hysterical and called the police and said she was being harassed by an African-American. But what really interested me about that was the woman came out and and apologised profusely and said she was not racist. And I think we see racism as hatred towards another race. And it's not just about hatred. It's no. about prejudice. Exactly. Would you agree? It's prejudice and the subtle discriminations we suffer from. Um, it's having these ideas and these preconceived notions about someone based on the colour of their skin. So she would assume that that guy was somehow uh, less than her in her mind because she knew exactly what she was doing. Mm. I don't think I don't think she's innately hateful and she, you know, she wanted to harm him. Or I think the extreme would be, say, the white supremacists out Mm. there. Mm. But the, the casualty of thinking that because you are of a different race, you will get preference when it comes to the guards or dealing with the police. And that's where white privilege comes in. Exactly. And there's been so much conversation about that. And it's. Hard to fathom what white privilege is, but I've been reading a lot about it mm. and it's become more and more obvious to me, even in the sort of television that I watch. We talked about our our love of Real Housewives yeah. and the Real Housewives series, mm-hmm. of which there really is only one that is focused on a group of black women in the States. Is that, you know, are, are you living in a world where you're not really represented in the media oh. or? OK, I can't go. even you tell go. you, girl. <laughs> um, when I was growing up here, obviously, there wasn't a lot of black people in Ireland at the time anyway. So, I, I, of course, I wasn't expecting to see a lot on television. But as the years have gone on and it's 2020 now, I would still love to see more black um, presenters on mm. television it being re- more black musicians mm. although I have I did say this to one of the girls I think 2020 has been the year of so many great black musicians in Ireland homegrown yes. that I've, I've I've just been amazed by the and whole thing and I think thing. sometimes we think sure there's lots of black musicians in America but we're not just talking about the States no, you know? no. and like why should we talk about the mm. States all the time when we have a lot of you know Irish black people here um, not represented enough in music but that is definitely changing and changing in a big way. We're not represented enough in the media industry. Currently, I work in radio and I work on television as well. And it's I can honestly count the number of people that are people of colour that work in some of the biggest biggest um, media industry Mm. and I feel like there are definitely you're you're telling me that in UCD Trinity in all the colleges across Ireland there are not black media students Uh studying why are they not on radio why Mm. are they not I'm Mm. I'm possibly one of the only black um, presenters on radio at the moment Um, I think I know of one other mixed race girl and that's that's it that's it and I mean we are a massive country. I feel like we need to see more mm. off our colour, off our different different skin shades to kind of represent what is happening in Ireland. Mm. Even when you open the magazines, you know, 
on the shelves. There's nothing that looks like us. Only recently, the shelves in the supermarkets and the chemists and whatever started stocking black makeup. Okay. Like, I yeah. remember going in. Wow, I never even thought of that. Do you know, yeah. it's it's the little things, but it's subtle things that you wouldn't notice no. because you've, you've always there seen for you. me. Exactly. Everything's there for me. Everything you see is representative of you, but mm. when you are not there, you will notice. Imagine if you walked into a shop and all you saw was black shades. You would feel like... Is something wrong with me? Mm. Um, mm. It, clearly, they don't think I'm good enough to put me on a well, shelf beside everybody into else. My subconscious, I think. Precisely, yeah. and I think that happened a lot to me when I was a lot younger. I mean, you know, growing up and having a strong black mom, she definitely, you know, instilled in me a lot of my confidence and a lot of things that made me feel like I can take on this world and I can do it. But I did feel sad for a lot of the other women that maybe didn't have that, or the other boys and girls that just didn't have such a strong influence in their lives because I do remember coming home crying, you know, feeling ashamed of things like my nose, my lips, my my body shape in general. It's it, I was a little bit more curvaceous than some of the girls in my class and I matured a lot earlier than some of the girls in the class. And you can see it. Black women tend to be a little bit more curvaceous. Mm. Mm. It's just the way it is. We got the booty, you know, we got the boobs. And yeah, but people had to comment on it. It was seriously mm. so thought-provoking because I was little and I was almost over-sexualized as well, mm. being, you know, a little bit more voluptuous, let's say. And I'm like, this is who I am. And I remember the first day I went home crying about my nose. I wanted a nose job. Like now I love every part of me. But at 15 years old, I remember a girl coming up to me. And again, she did not mean any harm by it. And I know it was just, I've never seen your kind before. What? Yep. She said never, that? Yep. Never seen your kind before. <laughs> and so she was, she actually went to press my nose. because She thought I had no, and she made this comment. And she was like, do you not have any cartilage in your nose? What? It's, it's, it's things like that that you yeah. find shocking that I'm like, I've, I've dealt with it so for so many what years would, that what would you like me to do like, I'm saying mm. me because I'm trying not to represent a race like yeah. what would you like do you want us to uh, do you want me to ask questions do you I think it all comes back to how you phrase things and educating the younger people. Now, you have a daughter and I would mm. hope that you are showing her people of colour. You are mm. letting her read books, her story mm. books with people of colour, buying dolls. It's all those little tiny subliminal things that you think yeah. won't make a difference that actually does make a difference. Mm. Watch your language and how you speak about people of colour, mm -hmm. you know. We saw Trump using language like, you know, these these uh, looters or, you know, uh, what was the other word he used? Thugs. Mm. He used the word thugs to describe us. And I think that is kind of the message that that's all that's what you're bombarded with. Yeah. And what you see, it's all these negative words that describe who we are or what we do or that thing or them or they. It makes us seem different and it kind of separates us. So, so bring we, more race into what you're reading yeah. and what you're showing your children. There's Ooh. loads of suggestions, actually, if you're following certain people on Instagram of different kids books. So novel wise, um, I'm going to just shout out some names for, for you because I think these are brilliant kids books. And I think these are books that share the message without coming across too aggressively. Okay, great. And that's always my worry. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Ruby Bridges goes to school and it's my true story. Again, this is by Ruby Bridges. And again, it just portrays the story of a girl going to school, being, and she's African-American in okay. the book, but 
how she interacts with everybody, how everybody kind of eventually learns to accept her. Mm. And I think it's that subtle way of doing it that okay. you don't even realize you're getting yeah, the message. Um, Separate is Never Equal. That's another very good book. Sylvia Mendez and uh, basically her family's fight. Also, we have Hair Love. I love Hair Love because okay. Hair Love, I feel like as a black woman, hair is one of the things we love about ourselves but also one of the things we constantly change and experiment with and it's so much a part of who we are that I think maybe it will make you understand us a little bit more if you read this book okay. so here love also brown boy brown boy what can you be okay good stuff anyone you follow on Instagram that you think we just have to follow you know I'm gonna go for some Trish Archer <laughs> Definitely. Go on, give us a follow. <laughs> but there are a few other people. Now, my all-time favorite will definitely be Oprah. Because oh, she's I phenomenal. Think, I mean, the woman is just the greatest yeah, of all time. She's amazing. And she has shared some really good books as well. Also, I'm going to go back to the Irish side of things. And Nadine Reed, she's somebody oh, she's who... fabulous. Well, if you are looking for any sort of inspiration in your life and... I just think she has such a brilliant way of explaining things. I always hear people go, oh my gosh, you know, Trish, you explain that really well. And then I think, ah, 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 you haven't heard this girl mm, speak. And great. again, she's touched on some of the black issues that have been, you know, facing us over the decades. And she okay. seems to have a world of insight. Uh-huh. Loa, she's a musician. Um, she's mixed race. She's from Dublin. Her history knowledge is incredible. So if you wa- if you, you don't know a few things, she'll definitely be able to teach you some. Okay. Youth Activist Ireland, okay. that's another great page that I think if you are looking to maybe donate educate yourself they have all the information there as well brilliant (laughs) I am hitting the mic I'm getting into it thank you very much I appreciate you I appreciate your time thank you so much Orla The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103 It has been a great week for my next guest her book became the best selling book in Ireland and sold double the amount that the number two best selling book sold by the way that of course was Normal People by Sally Rooney Gill Books are on their third reprint of Trisha's Transformation Beat the Bulge and Still Indulge and Trisha Lewis is on a roll and she is here to tell us more you're very very welcome Trisha Thank you so much. This is been a surreal enough time, so I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. A surreal enough time for you, both because we're in lockdown and your star just keeps on rising. Like if I, when I was writing the book, if I was told that every single bookshop in Ireland would be closed, I'd be like, what? <laughs> so it's a little bit of a curveball, but you know what? You always look at the bright side. We'll, we'll figure out a way around it always. I had to go looking for your surname because for me, you are Trisha's Transformation. So many people, like if I get posted, like Trisha's Transformation, I'm like, oh, I love it. I'm changing my name to it. Like a lot of people, I suppose, I suppose you wouldn't know the surname as such. True. Now, let's talk about your journey, the book, just everything that has happened, because it's hard to believe that it was just February of two years ago, February 2018, that you took that step to put that first photo on Instagram. Looking back on that now, what motivated you to do that? Oh my God, I think it was a moment of madness and panic. Um, I, I was very lucky. I have a very good group of friends and a group of sisters. I have eight sisters who are very supportive. So I decided, so I started the gym in February of 2018. And then in April, I had just given up the cigarettes on the Saturday. I obviously was bored. So on the Monday, I was like, I'm going to set up an Instagram page and document 
my weight loss. And then when it's all over and done with, I'll release it. And I'll tell everyone about it. I'll say, look, I've been doing this secret little page here in the corner and this is what I've done. Now, that backfired crazy because I think by that night I had about 400 followers. Okay. I was like, what? The next day it was at 1,000. The next day it was at 2,000. I was like, oh God, this is not the plan. So I decided from day one that obviously the, it was for documentation for anybody in the future that nearly like a time capsule. I, I, I have great notions of myself. Like, So I was saying I'd write down exactly how it felt in that moment in time so that if I ever did go on a weight loss journey and lost all the weight and sometimes that happens and you kind of go back to living a good life and you're on your nights out, you're on your holidays and it can kind of go wrong. I wanted somewhere where I could read exactly how it felt, whether it was good or bad. Mm. But that's what my Instagram is based off of. It's the reality, it's the truth. And when it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And some days it can be awful. And I, I don't I don't shy away from the negative side of it either because I think that's what we need to grow and that's how, what we need to do to keep a sustainable weight loss is to know that sometimes a bag of chips after a night out is going to happen. It's how you react the next day is what's going to determine your weight loss journey. Your first photo was you saying, here goes. Um, as you said, it was April 2018, the 23rd of April. And you said here goes because you were 26 stone at that stage. Is that right? I was 25 stone. 25 I, I lost 14 pounds at that stage. Okay, because you had started in February. So yes. you have 41 comments for that here goes. You now have a hundred, nearly 120,000 followers. Plenty of people are on weight loss journeys on Instagram and social media platforms. What do you think you did differently? I think I think it's it's honest, and I think people are like, "My lord, what is she doing?" I'm like, "I need to reset that. <laughs> this has gone dramatically wrong." And I find sometimes when I if I was following a weight loss blog before, I find them sometimes really sad. I'm like, "Oh no! Like we not just have a bit of crack with it." I think that's what the difference is that people kind of giggle along with it, and they're like, "Oh, it's a, I think it's more so of a journey." A lot of a lot of weight loss will focus on getting down all that weight and then be happy. Whereas I've decided that halfway through, I'm just, I just want to be me. So I think that maybe people are, are kind of latching onto that. I got very lucky as well. Like I got a, on the Late Eight Show, I got radio stations. You know, I think people, I don't know what it is that people jump on board with it, but keep jumping as I'm loving it because <laughs> obviously having a huge family, I love the huge community aspect. I'm like, mm. this is just great crack. It doesn't faze me, but when I look back even on that first post, there isn't even a picture of me. I remember I took a picture of the couch the black background. Oh, and that's I what that is. Goes. I was so nervous. And then I think I put up my second post and I just decided to hell with this. I'm just going to tell the truth that sometimes I struggled to put on my bra, whatever it was, and people were like, hope you're okay. I felt like that too. And I think that's what it is. I think finally somebody's speaking out of what obesity is like. So when people are in an obesity situation, they don't feel as alone. And for somebody who's never suffered it, kind of understands it a little bit more. Mm. And then... Someone suggested a book. When did that all happen? Actually happened on the 24th of June last year, so nearly 12 months. Okay. I got an email from Sarah from Gill Books, and she said, I just heard you on the Ryan Tuberty show. Um, would you be interested in having a cup of coffee about a book? I was like, oh, my God, I will leave Cork right now. I'll be in Dublin <laughs> as soon as you possibly can. So we arranged a meeting, and it just kind of went from there. And like they were like, look, we can get it out in 2021 and stuff like that and I was like no you don't know me I like to do things and I like to do them now because I feel like this could be the moment you know like because it is the story hasn't been finished yet mm. I still have got to go okay. so I wanted to be able to write it within in the 
can get it in for October 31st, we'll print it. But we doubt it very much. And I was like, watch me. So the middle of November, because like if you give me two years to write the book, I'd have wrote it in the last three months anyway. Yeah, you know, like us all. That would just chip away at it. I want to get it all done in one go. So that's what we did, and that's how the book came to date. And it was meant to come out in March, but it got uh, postponed due to COVID, uh, which is great. And it came out in May, and I was like, Grant. And look at you now, number one in Ireland. Yeah. Um, I'm number one bestseller in Ireland, and that's just, when I heard it was up against normal people, I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> imagine and that you've sold double the amount of copies that normal people on their last couple of episodes have sold like you know people will go out and buy that book after watching it on television I did yeah. I was like why did you if there was a difference of one I could have asked it, <laughs> it would have been your own fault you're a chef as well your your full time job is as a chef so that must have helped with the book because you've put in lots of recipes into it too it is. Now, if I was to do... So I'm the executive head chef of Jacobs and the Man in Cross mm. City. And if I was to do a cookbook based off the head chef, Trisha, it would be very different to Trisha's transformation. So when I was doing the book, I said, look, they were like, look, we need to get recipes in there because you're, you're a really good cook. And I was like, okay, perfect. So I wanted to make sure I did recipes that everybody nearly had the stuff in the pantry. And that, you know, with normal foods. Because, like, I love cookbooks. I adore them. Like, a cookbook is like a manuscript to a musician to mm. me. So I don't mind when they're really, really complicated, but I know that a lot of people would get frustrated going, well, I can't find unicorn dust mm-hmm. in Tesco. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So I created a book on, you know, losing weight but not losing flavor. So all the recipes, all the ingredients kind of overlap. You know, you can use one ingredient in 10 of the recipes. And, you know, that's the most amazing thing. Is I've been opening messages with the last week. People are like, I got your book this morning and I've created four of the recipes. This is class. So it's all about kind of good food, you know, straight from the ground. Like, I love home cooking. Like, my problem would never have been takeaways and stuff like that. It was actually just portion control was my problem. Okay. And how are you doing during the lockdown? Are you getting to go out and enjoy the fresh air and all that stuff that goes hand in hand with enjoying food and enjoying exercise as well? Yes. Um, like, start of lockdown, I absolutely hated it. I couldn't stop crying. I was like, we're all going to die. We're gone. This is it. This is terrifying. Not just, to be extreme or anything. That's the extreme, but I found it so overwhelming. I just started to kind of panic about different things. Really? And, you know, I'd lost, yeah, I'd lost, like I'd lost my job. I'd lost my personal trainer. I'd lost any bit of structure within my life. So I was very, very panicked. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would have been in the same boat. And were you panicked about your weight loss or were you panicked about a little bit of everything? Were you worried about ge- getting the coronavirus? What, what, what way were you feeling? everything like having no job having mm. no personal trainer having no structure I was worried about getting the coronavirus I was worried about giving it to somebody mm. you know everything was so unknown and it was just very overwhelming and I was obviously terrified about was I strong enough to stay on this weight loss journey without a personal trainer mm. and thankfully I have been um, so once I kind of got over that initial thing I just decided that I'm just going to control what I can control and that would have been my nutrition my exercise my sleep what I consumed, so I stopped watching the news late at night. So, like, I've really, it turned from being an awful time into being the most wonderful time ever. I'm going for walks, just fresh air, I have a routine, and it's really, really nice. Sounds ideal. And as we said, at the moment, Gail is going through its third reprint of Trisha's Transformation. Have people been talking to you about the book and anything they like in particular about it? Um... I'm getting a, loads of different 
kind of feedback. But I think the main one is a lot of people, are, I know they're saying thank you. Thank you for documenting exactly what it's like to feel crap. And this doesn't have to come from somebody who's 27 stone. This can come from somebody who's 8 stone and they might have three pounds on them. That three pounds is the exact same three pounds to me. You know, they felt uncomfortable. They might have felt different. Um, and I think the main feedback is I cried my eyes out at the start. I laughed along with you in the middle and I was just inspired by the end and I'm full of hope. So kind of it, it portrayed exactly how I wanted to write it. I wrote all the book myself. There was no ghostwriter. I just wanted to put it into my words, my way. And loads of people are loving the rest. Lovely. Well, look, congratulations. It's called Trisha's Transformation. Beat the bulge and still indulge. It is out now. You might find it hard to find because it is sold out at the moment. But as we said, they're on their third reprint. So look out for it. And if you're not following Trish already, she is at Trisha's Transformation on Instagram. Trisha, thank you so much for talking to me this morning. Thanks a million people. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Prununanog is Ireland's National Day of Creative Activity for Children and Young People and Entire Families. It's happening across the southeast and the country this coming Saturday and all events are free. Eileen Morrissey is the Creative Ireland Coordinator and County Librarian in Wexford and she's on the phone to tell us what to expect on June 13th. You're very welcome, Eileen. Thanks, Eileen Orla. Thanks for having me on. You might start off by telling us a little bit about Prununanog and, and what has been done with it in the past couple of years. Right, well, as you said, uh, Orla, Crinun and Og is now uh, it's in its third year and it's Ireland's National Day of Creative Activity for children and young people. And you mentioned families as well. So we try to get everybody in the house as engaged with Crinu as possible. And we aim really, I suppose, to celebrate the many, many creative talents that children and young people have. And we want to showcase them to the nation on Saturday, the 13th of June. So it's a day for doing, it's a day for making and creating and it's also a time for children uh, maybe to discover new skills, things they haven't tried out before, um, all the time while doing something a little bit different and creative. Okay, and there um, are a lot of different things within the Wexford spectrum of Crinunanog. Are they designed for a specific age group? Yes, or in general, we, we, we have uh, 17 events in total um, and some of our events, um, like our mini maestros, early years music workshop, um, and we have a parent and toddler bo- boogie uh, time as well, which should be a good one, and that's for the smallies as well. Then we have other events that are kind of, uh, I suppose, geared at the middle uh, age group, um, uh, like the 8 to 14 year uh, olds like modern dance and mindful movement okay. that should be a good one to get them all up and moving and um, there are some uh, online uh, traditional song workshops uh, both with uh, Aileen Lampert um, and also with Rachel E. Aylon. Then we we didn't forget the teenagers either Orla so we have um, a Zoom to record um, so that's a uh, a virtual video workshop um, and we also have Music Generation are producing a really good um, workshop there and then we also have a Shoma Tradishunta uh, workshop so there's lots for everybody okay. and everybody can go to www.creativeireland.gov.ie just to, to, to uh, check out all the different events Great and of course everything online this year with the current restrictions have you had to think around all of these like some of them are streamed live some you can watch at any time Yes Orla and I suppose every year the idea of Crinu like Crinu is the Irish word for gathering um, 
So every year up until now, it's been about bringing children and young people and families together for events and activities. And obviously this year, that hasn't been possible. Um, we had an open call for artists and creative people and facilitators to come on board with Crinoon and Oak uh, in Wexford uh, earlier on this year, before I suppose the pandemic occurred. And they all came back with the most fantastic ideas. So we had to go back to them then to see how we could modify their events and to include an online element. And a massive thank you to all those artists who have been so fantastic and creative in coming up with ideas that would work in an online context. And as I mentioned, so there are 17 events now and four of them will be delivered live via Zoom on the day. They have to be booked in advance. And the, re the remainder of the events are recorded and will be available online from the 13th of June. Some of the events will be live for a couple of days afterwards. So if you miss them, miss out on them, you can catch up. Um, okay. That's great to hear. Good stuff. Now, let's talk about a few of these events. Of course, because we're in Wexford and the Model County, you had to incorporate some Vikings into us. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yes. Our Viking our Viking video um, as part of Crinu, uh, our Crinu adventure, we can enjoy Ivan the Viking. Um, he'll be part of our video and he ventures through time to find the saviour of his people. Um, and this one uh, video that will be online, it's an educational way to learn about Vikings because Crinu is not just about creativity, it's also about celebrating heritage. Um, and we really want people to engage in the story of what it might have been like for Viking young people and children in, in those times. So this short film comes to us, it's from the Irish National Heritage Park here in Wexford, and I'm sure everybody's familiar with that, it's a 40-acre park that tells the story of human settlement in Ireland. And it sounds like a really interesting event for people. OK, good stuff. Now, um, two other events that are quite interesting. One of them is mind mapping and the other one is teaching children to make their own monster magazine. Yeah, both these videos are, um, are one of five uh, visual art workshops that are designed and produced by Gory School of Art. And they're really good partners that we work with every year um, to, uh, for Quinnunanog. So the Gory School of Art um, and Periphery Space are involved in this and it's part of our uh, contribution to Crinion and Oak. So they're, they're really diverse workshops um, for young people. The mind mapping one sounds really interesting. Creating a mind map is supposed to be a really easy and fun uh, thing to do, whether you're artistically inclined or not. So that's a good start. Um, and we're, we're kind of telling people to think about it as an extended doodle or a daydream that you would do in full-blown colour. So we're working with art educator Paul Carter, who is actually the director of Gory School of Art, and he is going to use a piece of fruit that he has in his fridge, and he's going to ask children to develop a creative, non-linear way of thinking about that piece of fruit. But that leaves, leaves plenty to the imagination, or I think mm, it it's, it's going to be a really good one. Um, a lot of these um, events, there are materials that you need to gather in advance. They're not really, um, I suppose, they're very easily found pieces mm, of material. But if you go to, to the website, yeah, have them to the hand exactly in, in advance of the uh, event. Okay, the other one that you mentioned was Make Your Own Monster magazine. And again, that's artist and educator James Merrigan. And he's going to show how to use your imagination through drawing and writing about a myth mythological creature. And lots of people have fascination with these different mythological creatures like griffins, pegasus, mermaids, and centaurs. So 
uh, the children and young people, they'd be putting together toys and objects from around the house and they'd be drawing from them. And it will all culminate with them producing this magnificent little zine. So it's like a, a magazine mm. online. And they'll put um, their mythological uh, creature that they've designed into a story. Uh. So that workshop is um, suitable for children aged 7 to 12 years, but they may need a little bit of assistance from their, their parents, and that's where the parents can come in and show their own creativity uh, as <laughs> part of the workshop as well. Okay, but in other ones you can give parents a bit of a break while the kids are getting on with it as well. Exactly, yeah, a bit of both. That's what we're all looking for now. Now, as we said, all events are free. Uh, most will be available throughout the day. A small number will require booking or will be streamed at specific times. So just bear that in mind. And the Crinunanog Day is next Saturday, June the 13th. If people want to check out any of the counties involved, they just go to the Creative Ireland website, Eileen, and find Crinunanog there. That's right. It's www.creativeireland.gov.ie. And the other counties in the southeast region, they all will have events as well. And they're open to everybody in, in, in any area to join. So there's just such a brilliant breadth of activities available to people. Brilliant. That is next Saturday. Other counties are doing things on other days as well. So do check out that website. But in the meantime, Eileen Morrissey, the Creative Ireland Coordinator, thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, the pandemic and lockdown has been affecting many parts of our lives and our skin is no different. Ivana Breen is the director of Akina Beauty and Laser Clinic. She has worked on over 10,000 faces in her 28 years in the Irish beauty and skin industry. And she's on the phone to chat skin during stressful times. And you're very welcome to the Sunday Grill, Ivana. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Orla. There's been no doubt that the last 12 weeks have been very stressful, but what effect can that have on our skin? Oh, well, it's enormous. Um, stress has a profound impact on skin because when we're stressed, all our hormone levels are elevated and the hormones that are elevated have um, a direct correlation to the oil glands in our skin. So two things can happen um, when you're stressed. Sometimes you have that fight or flight feeling going on, and that's um, when we're we're in imminent sort of uh, dealing with something stressful, and you can your body responds with that by um, sweating more. So that can actually be dehydrating to the skin. So even though you might not be you might not feel physically like you're pumping sweat. Mm. You are actually sweating that little bit more. So that can be very dehydrating to our skin. And that has a massive impact on how our skin functions. But then secondly, and more commonly, um, it will increase the oil secretions in our skin. So that means that that attracts more of the bacteria that love to feed off that oil. And with that causes clogging and congestion and that buildup of dead skin in the pore means that you're, you get inflammation and there you have a spot. So breakouts become really common in this, at, this, at, a, at any stressful time in your life. But I think in the last few weeks, people have, even though we've adapted very well and we're all getting on with things, there is this underlying sense of anxiety and what is going to happen and how mm. getting used to these new changes and that all manifests itself mm. internally and you know the the 
the mind and the skin are very closely intertwined. It's actually been said that your skin is literally the outermost layer of your brain. And that's down to um, a very complex connection it has with the neural pathways. So there's no taking one thing from the other. You, you know, they are intertwined. And the emotions and the anxieties that we feel do show themselves on your skin. Okay. So does that mean if someone has beautiful skin, they must be a very laid back person? That's somebody who has really good genes and is able to cope. (laughs) (laughs) So that's our our first hurdling block. If we come from uh, genes that haven't got the greatest of skin, we're not going to have the greatest of skin either. This is it. I mean, some people genetically are just predisposed to inflammation. um, And that's just the, the lot that they have been given in life. And mm. it's not, I mean, there, there's so many um, people who come in to me and they say, well, I'm doing all the right skincare and I'm doing my meditation and I'm eating really well and I do all of these things. And my best friend does nothing. She uses wipes and she burns the candle at both ends and she gets her skin is beautiful and flawless. And, you know, people are wondering what are they doing wrong? And it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It is just that uh, inherent thing that you you have been mm-hmm. given, given as a child your genetics yeah How unfair that's so unfair isn't it yeah, yeah very it unfair really is and you say that sleep is important but that you should practice good sleep hygiene what do you mean by that so that is really important when we sleep your skin has its own circadian rhythm so if that means that throughout the night there are different processes that your skin naturally goes through at certain times of the night so what we really are looking at there is um, the rejuvenation and um, the, the cells, the, the uh, replenishment of uh, cells in the skin and, you know, ones that are worn out or replaced, that kind of thing. Mm. So if we're not sleeping when that process is supposed to happen, it doesn't happen as effectively as it should happen. Okay. So that means that our skin that naturally sheds dead cells um, on, a, on a regular basis, that shedding process isn't happening as efficiently as, as it should. And that leads to dull complexion, grey skin. That's why we wake up looking not so good when we haven't had a good night's sleep because we're tired. Um, we haven't been able to regenerate the skin as it was supposed to happen during our sleeping time. So it's important to put in a good... Um, as I say, to have good sleep hygiene. And by that, I mean having a routine where you're getting up and going to bed at the same time every day and that you're not sort of lying in for two hours at the weekend and Mm -hmm. staying up longer and then trying to get up at six o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning so that you try to be consistent with the hours that you're going to bed and you're waking up, that you're not on the computers and being exposed to blue light directly before bedtime and really that should be an at least an hour before bedtime but if you can do longer than that that's even better and then your food and your diet comes into it as well so drinking coffee after two o'clock isn't a good idea I myself gave up coffee a long time ago and it made such a difference to my sleeping patterns I was amazed by it Mm because I never drank that much anyway but All these little things that you can do to help and ensure that you're sleeping well, the temperature in your bedroom should be cool and not hot. If it's too hot, you're not going to sleep well. So all of these things that you can do to make sure that you get your beauty sleep. I mean, it is actually true that 
Mm. You need beauty sleep. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, you're doing virtual consultations at the moment at Akina because, of course, you are closed like many other of the businesses in the beauty industry. In fact, all of the businesses in the beauty industry. What can you see virtually when you're doing a consulta- consultation? So it's it's difficult to see things virtually. But what I can see is a general, I, I do get a general sense of what's going on. And through the questions that I ask uh, my clients, it's easy to get an idea of what is happening with their skin. So I would have a series of questions that I ask and that gives me a good idea of what the client needs to do to help their skin condition. And sometimes it's a good idea if the client even takes a little diary a week before they come for their consultation um, to give me a sense of on a day-to-day basis what happens with their skin. Okay. So it, you, although you can't see close up and, and there's nothing as good as analysing the skin mm. when it's right in front of you. And before lockdown, I was one of those people who didn't do online consultations mm-hmm. because I felt you didn't, um, you weren't able to really get the, the, the right, uh, the right recommendations mm. for the clients. But needs must now and clients are needing to clients still want help with their skin they still need to know they're using the right products and how to use them and so through the virtual consultation which is really thorough in what we do and the questions that are asked I'm, I'm able to get a good idea of what's going on to the skin and then be able to recommend them. You've been working in the beauty industry for nearly 30 years have you seen changes in trends of what people come in for has it never really changed what people look for when it comes to their skin? I think the bottom line is it hasn't changed in that everybody wants to have good skin mm. and everyone wants to look as young as they possibly can. Um, our skin is, you know, it's our the only organ that we have that's on show. Mm. And like it or not, we are judged by our skin uh, when we meet people. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it it is reality. So the reality of having good skin is something that we all we all aspire to, and we all want to look as well as we possibly can, and age as slowly as we can, and do it as gracefully as we can. I would say. Um, but in terms of the types of treatments that are available, I mean, when I started in the beauty industry. Nobody, very few people in Ireland would consider doing Botox or fillers Mm. where it's becoming the norm now. And even if you speak to someone from the States, they think we are so far behind when it comes to things like um, injectables that we really haven't embraced them the way the Americans have. And even, even Northern Europeans would think that we're quite far behind in terms of what we're doing uh, cosmetically. But, more and more people are having fillers because it's getting better. Um, people are having work done and they don't look like they've had work done. So because I there is that, nothing worse than the look that you've had worse done. Oh, there's nothing worse than mm. the look. Yeah, mm. absolutely. But there's no need for that look anymore. And that look is done, I would say, by people who don't have a good aesthetic eye um, and or don't have the ability to say no to clients. Um, even with our within our own clinic, um, we have um, the lady who does our fillers for us. When she's asked 
to do lips on a young girl, she refuses to do them because they don't look good, you know. Yeah, that is good to hear. Okay. Yeah. Lots of stuff to think about when it comes to our skin. But as I said, you are offering virtual skin consultations at Akina Beauty. And you can go to Akina, which is A-K-I-N-A dot I-E. Or you can search for Ivana as well on Instagram. She's at Ivana Preen. It was lovely to talk to you, Ivana. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Orla. Thank you. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Gavin James, that's called Always. It's the Skip or Eight Mix here on Beat 102-103. Well, Waterford's annual mental health and suicide awareness cycle takes place a little later this year because of restrictions. It usually kicks off in Leamy Brine in aid of suicide or survive over the Easter weekend, but of course had to be cancelled due to coronavirus restrictions. Instead, they've come up with a new way to take part in the cycle while still adhering to those restrictions. And Kira Henbury is a committee member of the Mental Health and Suicide Awareness Cycle. And she joins me on the phone with details this morning. Hi, Kira. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Now, tell us what you used to do. So this used to be quite a big cycle every year around the Easter weekend, about 50 kilometres or so, wasn't it? That's it. So every year, uh, over the last five years, Liam has organised the 50k cycle in Lamey O'Brien, and it raised 44000 for a suicide or survive over the last five years. So all the funds raised go to provide free mental health shops, workshops in Waterford, and it was cancelled this year due to the coronavirus. So instead, we still wanted to raise the vital funds, so we came up with a 20k cycle challenge instead. Okay. Great. And as you said, Liam is Liam Brazel, who is a counsellor and he's someone who has been organising this cycle for many years. Um, and as you said, has been raising funds for suicide or survive. Um, you have an aim to raise about 10 grand this year. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. So myself and Liam had a chat when we knew that the, because of the coronavirus, the cycle was cancelled and we were talking to the C- the team at Suicide or Survive and the demand for their services are after increasing rapidly because these are really tough times, everyone knows, and people are struggling with their mental health. Mm. So we wanted to do something about it. So not only raise the funds so the people of Waterford can have access to the mental health workshops, but to also raise awareness for mental health through this campaign. So yeah, our target is €10,000 and like we have the Go f- the cycle didn't even start yet. We have the GoFundMe up and it has over a thousand euro already. So just thanks to everyone for your support and we hope everyone will be able to get on their bike and raise these vital funds for suicide or survive. Now, of course, because of social distancing, you aren't asking people to get together and cycle uh, together, but you're asking people to put in 20 kilometres. So tell, you, tell me how this is going to work. Yeah, so if you cycle 20 kilometres from your own home, any time from June 8th to 21st. And make a donation on our GoFundMe page. It's called Cycle for SOS. And then nominate three people to do the same using the hashtag Cycle for SOS on social media. Okay. Now, do you want any evidence that these people have done this cycle? Do you want any pictures or anything? Or are you just going to trust them? No, we want photos up everywhere online using the hashtag Cycle for SOS. Like this is more than just raising funds. This is about raising awareness. The more this is shared and talked about online, the more people are going to know about it. And that's the main message we want to get out there. It's all about raising awareness about positive mental health and for people to know that it's okay to talk and that the help is there. 
So if you can take a picture on your bike, pop it up online and um, using the hashtag cycle for SOS and nominate three people to do the same. It'll mean so much and it'll really get the message out there. OK, good stuff. Well, as you said, it kicks off today. But have you got a cutoff point when people need to have done their cycle by? Yeah, so we're setting the time frame for June 21st so we can get everyone on their bike for then two weeks and then hopefully on June 21st we'll be able to um, say that we exceeded our €10,000 target. Good stuff. And as you said, you are raising money for SOS. They are Suicide or Survive. You can get more details on what they do at suicideorsurvive.ie. But the cycle has got a Facebook page. How do people search for your cycle in particular, Kira? Yes, so on Facebook, our page is called Mental Health and Suicide Awareness Cycle. Okay. And then we're also on Instagram at Cycle for SOS. And our GoFundMe page is Cycle for SOS as well. Great stuff. Okay, so if you search for those, you will find them. When are you doing your 20K, Kira? Just when I'm off the phone now, I'm getting out and going on the bike today to do the cycle. So I hope everyone else can do the same. Okay, good stuff. Are you competitive? 20 kilometres is a long... Have you decided how long you're going to give yourself to do it? Um, Oh, sure, I'll try to do it all today and we'll see. If I get that that during it, sure, we always have tomorrow. And that's the thing. It's all about just going out and doing what you can. And if you want to do it over a few days, there's no pressure at all. Once you get involved, raise awareness and make a donation if you can. That'll mean the world. Brilliant. Well, thanks a million for talking to us. We'll let you go to get up on your bike and head off and raise funds for suicide or survive. Thanks so much for talking to us, Kira. Thank you. Bye. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Gavin James, that's called Always It's the Skip or Eight Mix here on Beat 102-103. Well, Washford's annual mental health and suicide awareness cycle takes place a little later this year because of restrictions. It usually kicks off in Leamy Brine in aid of suicide or survive over the Easter weekend, but of course had to be cancelled due to coronavirus restrictions. Instead, they've come up with a new way to take part in the cycle while still adhering to those restrictions. And Kira Henbury is a committee member of the mental health and suicide awareness cycle. And she joins me on the phone with details this morning. Hi, Kira. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Now, tell us what you used to do. So this used to be quite a big cycle every year around the Easter weekend, about 50 kilometres or so, wasn't it? That's it. So every year, uh, over the last five years, Liam has organised the 50k cycle in Lame O'Brien and it raised 44,000 for a suicide or survive over the last five years. So all the funds raised go to provide free mental health shops, workshops in Waterford. And it was cancelled this year due to the coronavirus. So instead, we still wanted to raise the vital funds. So we came up with the 20k cycle challenge instead. Okay, great. And as you said, Liam is Liam Brazel, who is a counsellor. And he's someone who has been organising this cycle for many years. Um, and as you said, has been raising funds for suicide or survive um, you have an aim to raise about 10 grand this year, is that right? That's it, yeah. So myself and Liam had a chat when we knew that the, because of the coronavirus, the cycle was cancelled and we were talking to the the team at Suicide or Survive and the demand for their services are after increasing rapidly because these are really tough times, everyone knows, and people are struggling with their mental health. Mm. So we wanted to do something about it. 
So not only raise the funds so the people of Waterford can have access to the mental health workshops, but to also raise awareness for mental health through this campaign. So yeah, our target is €10,000 and like we have the go the cycle didn't even start yet. We have the GoFundMe up and it has over €1,000 already. So just thanks to everyone for your support and we hope everyone will be able to get on their bike and raise these vital funds for suicide or survival. Now, of course, because of social distancing, you aren't asking people to get together and cycle uh, together, but you're asking people to put in 20 kilometres. So tell you, tell me how this is going to work. Yeah, so if you cycle 20 kilometres from your own home, any time from June 8th to 21st, and make a donation on our GoFundMe page, it's called Cycle for SOS, and then nominate three people to do the same using the hashtag Cycle for SOS on social media. Okay. Now, do you want any evidence that these people have done this cycle? Do you want any pictures or anything, or are you just going to trust them? No, we want photos up everywhere online using the hashtag Cycle for SOS. Like, this is more than just raising funds. This is about raising awareness. The more this is shared and talked about online, the more people are going to know about it. And that's the main message we want to get out there. It's all about raising awareness about positive mental health and for people to know that it's okay to talk and that the help is there. So if you can take a picture on your bike, pop it up online and um, using the hashtag cycle for SOS and nominate three people to do the same, it'll mean so much and really get the message out there. Okay, good stuff. Well, as you said, it kicks off today. But have you got a cutoff point when people need to have done their cycle by? Yeah, so we're setting the time frame to June 21st so we can get everyone on their bike for then two weeks and then hopefully on June 21st we'll be able to um, say that we exceeded our €10,000 target. Good stuff. And as you said, you are raising money for SOS. They are Suicide or Survive. You can get more details on what they do at suicideorsurvive.ie. But the cycle has got a Facebook page. How do people search for your cycle in particular, Kira? Yeah, so on Facebook, our page is called Mental Health and Suicide Awareness Cycle. Okay. And then we're also on Instagram at Cycle for SOS. And our GoFundMe page is Cycle for SOS as well. Great stuff. Okay, so if you search for those, you will find them. When are you doing your 20K, Kira? Just when I'm off the phone now, I'm getting out and going on the bike today to do the cycle. So I hope everyone else can do the same. Okay, good stuff. Are you competitive? 20 kilometres is a long... Have you decided how long you're going to give yourself to do it? Um, Oh, sure, I'll try to do it all today and we'll see. If I get that that during it, sure, we always have tomorrow. And that's the thing. It's all about just going out and doing what you can. And if you want to do it over a few days, there's no pressure at all. Once you get involved, raise awareness and make a donation if you can. That'll mean the world. Brilliant. Well, thanks a million for talking to us. We'll let you go to get up on your bike and head off and raise funds for suicide or survive. Thanks so much for talking to us, Kira. Thank you. Bye. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, let's talk television. Some good stuff to watch out for this week. Our Donal O'Donoghue is back from his holes and here to tell us what he is looking forward to. Hiya. Was I on my holidays? You were on a holiday. Oh, actually, I was actually downstairs, actually, and then I came upstairs. That counts as a holiday, doesn't it? These days. <laughs> had you one day off or five days off? I had one day. Actually, you're right. I did have a day off last week. God, <laughs> Everything is funny. Sure, I didn't even realise last week was a bank holiday, to tell you the truth, Donald. Yes. Everything melts into, into one, one big one. Yeah. thing, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it really yeah, yeah. does. Like, mm. if I was to look back on what I did over the last 12 weeks, 
watched a lot of reality television. That's about it. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, read, read a lot of books, probably. Read a lot of books, yes. Anyway, how are you? Great, great, great. And if you are thinking of holidays, well, maybe next year, we could start off with in Monaco. Have you ever been to Monaco? No, but I would like to see Monaco. Would you? Mm. See Monaco and... That's it, really. I, I, I go to Monaco every year. In fact, I should be in Monaco in about oh, two weeks' time, now, usually for the TV is, festival. Yes, of course. Um, another of your humble brags. This I'm is where humble, you get... No, <laughs> it's actually... It's, you, you have a TV festival in Monaco. They have it for the last... In fact, and this year a, would have been the 60th anniversary of the TV It's a funny one. Is it called something Rose or... Well, the... the, the, the no, that was Montreux. It's No, this is the Golden Nymph is okay. the award to get. The Golden okay. Nymph or the... Yeah. And this is the award. one that, like... Fair City actors have won awards from... A yeah, show. Fair yes. City. And uh, who else? I met uh, the gang from Love, Hate there. Okay. And who else to meet there? Irish Wise. I met um, a few Irish people over there over, uh, down the years, actually. Yeah, so it's up, like, like our yeah. very own radio awards, only they get to go to Monaco. Mm. Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay. Monaco, yeah. I mean, you've never been. Uh, this actually is, uh, this is on tomorrow night, uh, Inside Monaco. It's a three-part series. Starts tomorrow in BBC Two at nine o'clock. Okay. And it's narrated by Fred from First Dates. Okay. You know, yes. Who's 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 usually? Uh, you've probably seen. I think you've seen his previous series about going around the cities. Yes, he really has Europe. branched out from first dates. He seems to be um, peddling himself as a, a a restaurant critic, which is uh, which he is and, obviously. Yes, mm. and a tour guide now, and the latest yes, one, obviously. So he meets with Prince Albert. Okay. And uh, he tours the royal palace. Actually, I, I've been in the palace a few times, actually, briefly for soirees. Um, <laughs> Monaco is a strange place. So I, I know you haven't been there, but I find it. Kind of weird. I mean, isn't it? Wasn't it Jack Nicholson who once famously said it's like Alcatraz for the fa- famously rich or the, oh, the very really? rich, super rich Alcatraz? <laughs> you can it's understand just that. A tiny little island, isn't it? It's a tiny little principality. Yeah, exactly, little country, and mm. uh, it's like, but it's so. I mean, madly rich. I mean, all the cliches are true. The, the big supercars, the supermodels, the super so old guys. With to step out. Super old guys, the super young women. Okay. That kind of stuff, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how long do you go for when you go every year? I go for it's about. It's, Five days, four nice. or five days. So, yeah, I do a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. And okay. In fact, I met the guys from Das Boot last year, actually, which oh, I'm going to talk about in a minute. I met, I met them there as well, actually. Okay. Um, well, this but, yeah, is a this, chance this for us to get inside Monaco. It's three parts, as you said. Yes, three um, parts, yeah. And it's a tour of it, really. It's a tour of it, yeah. And I imagine with Fred's a bit of, I won't say tongue-in-cheek, but a certain a kind of, you know, alternative look at the Monaco thing, you know, because, okay. I mean, All right. seen a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. And he does like his food, so I presume we get to go and see lots of different restaurants that are doing well mm. as well. That's BBC yeah. Two at 9pm. I'm going to check that out tomorrow night. I like that sort of thing. And he did, as we were saying, a series on BBC last year about um, kind of restaurants off the beaten track and really well-known foodie cities around Europe. And it was just brilliant. I loved it. So I'll give this mm. one a chance as well. It's called Inside Monaco. It's tomorrow at 9pm on BBC Two. Then uh, tomorrow as well, we have Fearless from a documentary about Cork's own Samantha Barry. She is someone who her star is just on the rise. If people don't know who she is, she is the editor of Glamour magazine. Isn't mm. that right? Editor, editor in chief. Wow. Glamour, there played to her. Yeah, she's on the rise, anyway, definitely. Mm-hmm. This, this is the sort of uh, fly on the wall documentary and it follows her as she prepares for the magazine's prestigious Women of the Year Awards. So you've got honorees like Jane Fonda and Charisse Theron, Megan Rapinoe, all appearing in it, you know, and uh, basically, like, if you want to look inside the world of glamour and glitz and all that stuff, yeah, that's probably quite interesting. And imagine, yeah. yeah. And I'd yeah. say I she would... brings her own Irish humour to it as well. Has she got... I, 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 I don't know much about Samantha Barry apart from the well, I, from Cork. I just think <laughs> that if you put an Irish person into a very kind of precious American situation, they will bring a bit of humour to it. 
Possibly, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Another one I will watch. I'll have to set the DVR for that one. It's 9.35 uh, tomorrow night on RT1. It's called Fearless and it's a documentary about Samantha Barry. Uh, season two of Das Boot, if you watched it, is back on Sky Atlantic on Tuesday at 9pm. It's also available on Now TV if you don't have Sky Atlantic. This oh. is a novel, an iconic enough movie and now... A television series. Yeah, Das Boot. Das Boot uh, premiered last year. Actually, in fact, I met I met two, three of the actors actually in, in Monte Carlo. In fact, it was the last day of the interviews. I did about twenty five interviews at that stage, and I was like, my head was in tizzy. And I was going, these guys look quite familiar. I thought, like, I expected like three, I, had, I hadn't seen the show at that stage. So I expected three, three German guys to show right. up, but it was a guy from. He said he looks familiar. It was a chap from Mad Men. Mad Men. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Cartizer, Vincent Cartizer, okay, who's who's in it, and then the other guy. You watch, you don't watch Game of Thrones, but the guy, the faceless guy from Game of Thrones, is in it as well. Um, so it's an American uh, production, is it? It's, it's no, it's a German production, the Bavarian Studios, uh, but it's a very international cast. In fact, in season two, you'll see Michael McElhatton. You remember Michael McElhatton from Game oh, of yeah. Thrones? Yeah, Maybe yes. rats. From yes. Paths to Freedom. Yes. But Michael 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 McElhatton pops up in season two, and it's written by among others Colin Teven, the Dubliner who wrote Rebellion. Uh, he's the chief writer on this on season two. But basically what it is, you mentioned the books there, yeah. Uh, the original movie, Wolfgang Peterson, 1981 classic, uh, Oscar-nominated movie, um, was based on the book Das Boot, surprisingly enough, by a, by, uh, by a German author who actually had served in the, in the U-boats during World War Two. And it's basically, the movie is set inside U-boat, so it's claustrophobic, it's actually very gripping. I, know if you, I don't know, have you seen the movie? No. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah, that's <laughs> no, definitely no, no, nine, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's like really gripping, really gripping, really claustrophobic, and for a, bo- a movie set entirely inside a submarine, it was actually compelling. Actually, I thought, um, but this is actually the first season. This had two strands. One strand was set in the submarine. The other one set in the in La Rochelle in France. So it was like the resistance, uh, cat and mouse game between the resistance and the Nazis. Um, season two has three strands. There's two submarines, <laughs> and there's also um, there's also the French resistance story in La Rochelle as well. Okay. Um, now, I'm not sure. You're probably going German submarines. No, no. Singular. I like it, this sort of thing. Actually, I've seen the first episode of season two. It's actually very, very good. Okay. It's really, it Do really. I need to watch the, season one. Um, you probably would. Okay. Yeah, because uh, the story continues directly on from it. It begins. It sets like it sets a couple of month, a month directly moves on directly chronologically okay. from. It's set in 42, December 1942. Okay. And, Maybe uh, I can just Wikipedia that and move Wikipedia. on. Wikipedia. I mean, it's, if you have Now TV, you'll get it all on Now TV anyway, yes, you know. True. Yeah. true. Oh, Wikipedia the first, yeah, the other one. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is season two, Das Boot. It's still called Das Boot, I presume. It's still called Das Boot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sky Atlantic, Tuesday at 9pm. And of course, if you have Now TV, it's on that as well. And as we said before, Monday, that is tomorrow, is Fearless, documentary about Samantha Barry, or T1, 9.35 on Monday. And then also tomorrow is Inside Monaco. Uh, it's a three-parter kick off tomorrow night on BBC Two at 9pm. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Ola. The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie.